0: Well, I was going to say, haven't you appreciated Beth these last couple of days? I, I, I love her and appreciate her. And you know, out of all the thank yous that have gone out, um, I've noticed that one has kind of gone without. Haven't you appreciated your camp president, Matt Brooks? <laughs> ah, and so I did that so I might be invited back someday. No, I'm, I'm just, just kidding. Well, it's been a wonderful week, and I want to share with you today, um, I believe if there was one message that I could leave with the church, it would be the message that we find in Second Peter. So if you have your Bible, turn to Second Peter, and we're just going to fly through and pull out three thoughts, three themes that Peter uh, speaks to these early believers. Now, you understand that when you come to Peter, obviously the writing, the writer is... Peter. Uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Um, Jonathan was in 1 Peter the other night. We're in 2 Peter uh, today. And you remember that when we first meet Peter, his name is Simon. He's a businessman. He's in partnership with his brother Andrew Fisherman. And it's actually Andrew on one occasion that brings Peter to Jesus. And because of that, his life has changed. And we see how Jesus transforms him. And it should give us all hope because if he can do that with Simon Peter, he can do that with us. Aren't you thankful for that? We have a God that can tr- transform our lives and make us into the men and women that he longs for us to be. In Second Peter, he's writing to the same network of churches that he wrote to in 1 Peter. You remember that these are refugees. They're individuals because of their belief in Jesus Christ are being persecuted during the time of Nero. If you've sat in any, Sunday, any history classes through your schooling, you'll remember that Nero was very ruthless, and he is the ruler during this time, actually burning believers at the stake because they claim the name of Jesus, actually throwing believers in the Colosseums to which you can see the remains today, where believers simply for, for claiming Christ was meet the end of their life in a horrible way. This is who is leading. So we watch as Peter sits down and he begins to address this group of people, obviously, in the hopes of encouraging them. Have you found that we all need encouragement from time to time? If you came through 2020 without the need of encouragement, I question your sanity. But otherwise, you know, we all need to be encouraged and that is his goal. He's a good preacher, he's a good uh, leader of the church, so his desire as well, in that encouragement, he wants to teach this flock. And in the encouragement and teaching, his ultimate goal is to bless them. But this is the thing that we need to understand. When we come to 2 Peter, he realizes that his time is near. In other words, he's going to die soon. Jesus had foretold how he would die, and now he senses, now he knows that that time is getting close. Why does that matter? Because when we read the words of 2 Peter, really what we have is the farewell address of the apostle to his church. It's really a powerful thing. These are his final words, his final message. I wonder if you were to say one last thing to somebody that you love. To someone that you had poured your life into, if there was one last email to be composed, one last letter to be sent, what would you say? How would you choose the language? With what intensity would you write? It's powerful because that's what we have in this epistle And that's why at times you can sense the passion behind the message that he's delivering. There's no question of the intensity as he tries to stress the importance of what he wants this church to know. As he encourages them, as he encourages those early followers and us as well today to grow, to know, and to go. If you want to see some simple truth that comes from 2 Peter, it's those three messages. He wants them to grow, he wants them to know, and he longs for them to go. Peter, knowing that his time is near, as he starts this letter, he begins by encouraging these believers to grow. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. He writes, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So, you already know the context of this letter that he's writing. And it's really interesting that he begins by reminding his hearers, by reminding us that everything that we need to be the men and women that he has called us to be, that God intends for us to be, has been provided. Everything for godly living that's needed, we have. He actually takes it a step further. He uses stronger language than I just used. He really says, you heard it as we read it, everything that we need to actually participate in the divine nature itself has been given. And I really think that, that, that's an incredible image because I meet people all the time, good people, but have you found out that everybody's sanctified until they get behind the wheel of a car? Until somebody rubs them the wrong way. Everybody has the spirit in them until that point, but then all of a sudden something will come out and they'll say, well, I can't help it. I've got some of my daddy in me. Well, you know, it's just the way she is. We, we make excuses for all these things, and the reality is if we really believe the message that we proclaim that we ought to surrender that nature and allow Him to replace it with His divine nature and calls us to be the men and women that He has called us to be. The Spirit of Christ can actually live through us. So when the world sees us living, when the world interacts with us, they actually see Him. And it's possible. If you sit there and you're thinking it's not, you don't read the Word of God and you certainly didn't just hear the message that Peter writes the church because he says, everything that you need for that to be possible has been given. But we like to make a lot of excuses.
1: Well, that
0: pastor. Well, it's just our culture. Well, it's our day. I'm glad the people that went before us didn't make excuses like that. I'm thankful because of that we know the power that's available. I pray that we'll get a hold of it as well and understand that there are those that are coming behind us and that we would long so much that they wouldn't just have memories of coming and camping at a place called Sycra, but they would know that holiness, that lifestyle, it's not just a plaque that we have. It's not just something that we can say, but we are faithful witnesses Of what God can do in our life. And if it doesn't happen in you, let me just say it, it's your own fault. It's the feeding of the 5,000 scene. You can have as much of Jesus as you want. Or, tragically, you can have as little. And my concern today is, I don't have enough time to get on all these soapboxes, but my concern today is, is that we are the type of people that settle for just enough. We're looking for just enough. And I'm afraid that if we are looking for just enough, when we're just trying to fear, if we settle for that, one day we'll wake up and realize just enough wasn't enough at all. We have been given everything that we need for godly living. And then, being the obsessive-compulsive guy that Peter was, he, he go, he's an incredible writer. He goes on, after saying everything that we need has been provided... To show us what evidence there should be in every believer's life. If we are living the life, then there are certain traits that should be exhibited in Christians. It's found in verses 5 and 7 of chapter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. So if you want to know what a growing believer looks like, If you want to know what characteristics should be evident in his or her life, they are right there. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, and love. And you realize the ultimate goal of the believer is, is to share in God's love. Because when you share in God's love, you share in God's life itself. It's incredible. Those are the characteristics... That should be displayed in our lives. So let me just ask you this. I don't have to linger there. But let me ask you. How are you doing in those things? You know don't you? You know whether. Goodness. Self control. We could probably look at your Facebook page and find out. Godliness. I could ask your spouse. I mean if. I could talk to your children your grandchildren they could tell me but you know don't you love do you share in the love of God itself are you sharing in his life oh I want you to see it as we're winding down in this camp in 2021 I want you to see Peter longs for Christians both then and now to grow But he continues in his thought process by showing us that for a Christian to continue to grow, Peter says that we must know. It's such a strong image because he goes on by stressing the importance of remembering or being grounded in the truth that we've been given. We see it in chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, and I want you to notice the repetition because I've said already a couple of times this week, whenever you see repetition in the word of, word of God, you ought not take that lightly. Because it tells you that it's something that the Spirit wants to communicate to you. It's something that you need to sit up and pay attention to and listen to what he says in verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I'll soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Don't miss it. Because here we see the Apostle Peter He is passionately calling that early church, those early believers, to remember. Why is that necessary? Memory is a powerful thing. You know this. How many of you like music? You can hear a song and say you're like me, born in the 70s, formed in the 80s when the greatest music ever was. Uh, I mean, all that kind of thing, and, and you can be walking through a store now because the greatest music is now the oldies. It's, it's hard to believe, but anyhow, you're walking through the store, and you hear a song, and just like that, you're transported back to your high school days. You remember the kind of person that you were at the time you were listening to that song, or maybe the hair that you once had, you know, you hear a song, and if you're married, or if you've got a, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you say, oh, that's our song, and I'm going to help you out quickly. If you're not getting royalties from that thing, it's not your song. I can promise you that. Call it all you want to. That's the song we first kissed to. That's the f- song we first danced to. You do dance, don't you? Some of you are Methodists. I know you do. <laughs> but, <laughs> I- I- anyhow, anyhow. He's calling them to remember. And let me just put this out there. I don't have enough time to, and you're thankful for this, to trace, I can't even say it. You know what I'm talking about. That's why it's important, mom and dad, to train your children while they're young. To deep, plant deeply the things of God in the soil of their fertile hearts. Because one day they're gonna live alone. And one day they're gonna make their own decisions. And in that day you'll have wished that you planted those seeds as you pray for them because you can claim God's promise at that point in time knowing that you raised them right. That they'll not be able to depart from the truth that they once knew. And you'll hold to that believing that he will use all those things to bring them to where they need to be in relationship with him. Oh, I wish I had more time because so many of us take that lightly. We're failing And I'm thankful for extracurricular activities. I really am. I don't think there's anything wrong with sports. I love music. But don't make that the most important thing. Because one day, whether your child ever makes it in that sport or in music or whatever it may be, I promise you, mom and dad, they will stand before their creator. And they will give account for their lives. We need to remember By the way, this is why it's okay for preachers to repeat themselves. I find comfort in that. You think I'm kidding. No, I say we need to remember what God has said. Why? Because we allow those memories to spur godly. To stir up wholesome thinking and living in our lives. And it's so powerful that Peter is saying this to this early church. Why? Because it's what the prophets and the apostles had spoken. In other words, in this day, 68 A.D., it's not second hand. They were reliable witnesses. They had actually walked with. Peter himself had walked with Jesus. He had talked with. He knows what he actually looked like. He knew what the tone of voice was that he had. Was he a baritone? I think so. He wasn't a He might have been a base, but all those sorts of things. I mean, he walked with him. He could even recall how up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he heard the announcement, this is my son. Listen to him. And the reason why that matters is because these things are reliable. Peter is warning the church that false prophets are going to arise. There are going to be false teachers that that try to take position. Jude will go a little bit further and say They they slip in as if through the side door secretly and settle down amongst the crowd. They look the part. They know how to dress when they come to Camp Syker. They know the songs, whether there's an overhead or not. I mean, they know what to do. The only problem is they don't toe the line. He says they're coming. And in fact, he says they've already come. They're already among you, and their desire is to frustrate your effort. Their desire... Desire is to hinder the kingdom of God advancing. Really, they want to destroy you. But ultimately, in the end, they will be the ones who meet with their destruction. And then in chapter 2, verses, we're not going to read this, 4 through 22, he gives a history lesson of false prophets and faithful examples to remind of the fate. He mentions in that section, sinning angels. That should make you want to read the Word of God. Sinning angels? Don't you want to know how? Y'all aren't real, are you? I, I mean, I want to know what's going on there. Sinning angels, he talks about the flood and the example of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and the faithfulness of Lot, and so many others to show his hearers that you can live faithfully during frustrated times. I said it the other day, man's circumstance might change, but the condition never does. And the answer is always the same. We naturally will be frustrated when we're in this world. Why? Because we are part of a different kingdom. But as we are making our way as aliens and strangers in this land, as we are marching to the beat of his drum that goes against the cadence of culture, We watch that we can make it. And Habakkuk, the word that God spoke to him, rings true. The just shall live by his faith. But if you are going to live by faith, this is what I stomped, spit, and snorted about the other night. You have to know. True faith requires you to know what God has said. Why? Because the foundation of faith is believing his word. Not words of faith that man may speak, but but what he has said. And because you know what he has said, you can stand knowing that it will be. It's not a question of if. You have to stand on what you believe. If you don't, you'll easily be led astray. Have you noticed there are some people who get caught up in every stream of fanaticism that passes by? Every current Every wave of emotionalism they get a little stir and they're right on board carried away. Peter is warning against this. We must continue to know. And I can tell you why some of you have quit growing. Because you've lost your desire to know. You think you know it all. None of us do. None of you, you don't believe me. That's why Sunday school is declining. That's why most don't see a need for Bible study or or small group type things. Or dare I say, even a Sunday or Wednesday night service. We need to continue knowing what he said because by knowing is how we grow. But if you follow along in his progression of thought, Peter concludes by saying to grow and know requires something of us you understand this morning that along with your redemption comes a responsibility and it's not a responsibility to ride your pew to glory it's always interesting sometimes to go into some of the churches i go and you can if they haven't made gotten rid of old pews or or old chairs you can walk up and down the aisles and you can see the type of people that sit in those spots Oh, come on, sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. I mean,
1: there are some that say,
0: fit just right. You know not to sit there. Going to be a tight squeeze, or maybe you're going to be swimming a little bit. You don't care, but anyhow. To grow and to know requires us to go. Understand this morning, Peter did not want the church to be mistaken. God's timing is not our timing. Listen to verses 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Listen, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I believe those are two of the most beautiful verses that we have in Scripture and I also believe that there's no way that we can understand the gravity of what Peter is saying. To God, a day is like a thousand years. And other people are saying, well, it's 2021. It's been two days in glory. If you want to believe that, okay. But it's probably wrong. Whew, serious, even on Sunday morning when they're going home. You know, it's, it's a simile. We're trying to capture, remember, the uncapturable we're trying to describe the undescribable with limited language that can't describe the unlimited, and so we use these outrageous things. A day is like a thousand years. Anybody here close to a thousand? No, nope, didn't think so. We can't even get somebody close to one hundred fifty-one. I, I mean, you you can't. God is finite. We're infinite. I, I mean, we're finite. God is infinite. And it's impossible for us to describe who he is or or, or the things of God, but what we want to see here. Peter is saying that there are going to be people that will doubt his return. It's powerful. They always have. It's only been 35 years since Jesus' crucifixion, since his death, since his burial, resurrection, and, and ascension into heaven. It's only been 35 years since the time that has happened. And since he hasn't come back in 35 years, people are saying, he's not who he's He was. And my whole life, I've heard people, every generation that's come before, saying, We're living in the last days. The seasons, the the, the rumors of war, and all these things. And, And the truth is, we are living in the last days. Hebrews makes that clear. But we've been in the last days ever since Jesus came. And the reality is, we're closer than we've ever been. I can't tell you when he would come, and I can. Tell you, if I tried to tell you, the, it was mentioned in the pamphlet the other night, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 88, well, y- you know what? I can't believe people get, I mean, come on, Jesus doesn't know, but God will tell you. And if I were to tell you a day that he was coming back, mark it down, he wouldn't come then. But the reality is, he is coming again. There will be a second advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, so while we wait, Peter wants us to remember that God is patient, and in his patience, we have an opportunity to respond to God's grace. Do you get that? In his patience, the reason why he's given us 151 years at Camp Syker. The reason why you're here this morning is that he's given us this opportunity, by his grace, to get to where we need to be. If we're not Christian, we can be Christian. If we're backslidden, and I know there are people say, you can't backslide. It's probably because they're backslidden. But if you're there, you can get to where you need to be today. Why? Because he desires that none... That means the people that you agree with. It means the people you don't agree with. To perish. But for everyone, all, that means the people you like. That means the ones you don't. The ones that you see. He wants them all to come to repentance. It's a powerful image. So while we wait, let me remind you and, and let me remind myself. The time is a gift, a gift that we must not take for granted. We usually treat it as, as, as a burden. But while we have this day, while we have this hour, we must go and announce the power of the kingdom of God into a darkened world. We should be the salt that lightens up, the, that, that, that brings out the God flavors, the light that, that is shed upon the darkness in our world. As Jesus gave himself, we must give ourselves as well. Why? Not so that our churches grow, so that the kingdom will grow, and that others may come to repentance and know him too. We have a responsibility. We must go. So as we conclude Camp Psyker 2021, I hope you'll hear the message of 2 Peter. It's an important message. Grow. Never stop growing. The only option is decline and death. But if you're going to grow, you have to continue to know. Please, fall in love with the Word of God. Make that your first book. And if you are knowing and growing, it will be obvious. Why? Because you will be the one that goes. He will live through you. As he gave himself, you'll give yourself so that others might know him.